Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be opening up the Saltonite Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the winter of 2019-2020. We start by speaking with author Stephen Clark, who tells us about the children's series The Golden Knight that he wrote with his son, Justin. After that, we meet singer-songwriter and artist Michael Corsini. In our second half hour, we have a moving conversation about dementia with author Rhonda Hoffman, who wrote a pre-dementia letter for her daughters. And at the end of the show, we meet hip-hop artist Connor Flanagan. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, just look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We begin now with The Golden Knight. In the beginning, the kingdom was ruled by a wise and just king who ruled by the laws written in the ancient book. The people were protected by archangels and heroic knights. All lived in peace and prospered, but those days are gone. The book has been taken, the angels have fallen, the knights are gone, the people suffer. All that remains is the prophecy and a promise of hope. That's the premise behind The Golden Knight, a book series by father-son team Stephen and Justin Clark. And to tell us more, I am very excited to, to be joined now by Stephen Clark. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I tried to make that as dramatic as possible, as, as okay. epic-sounding as possible. Um, but maybe, um, and I, I, I think you're, you said your son Justin is, is there, so maybe we can have Justin join us in a bit. But because you guys okay. came up with the story, with the stories together, or how did you end up writing the books? Well, I mean, it actually started when Justin was a little bit younger, when he was uh, in middle school. Uh-huh. He's always been uh, an artist and creative and enjoyed superheroes and yeah. fantasy and and things of that nature. So he actually developed all the characters, and then he came to me. Okay. He came to me one day and uh, asked if we could write a story, and uh, that's kind of how it, it all it all got started, and we ended up uh, doing the Golden Knight series. Uh, and you wrote the stories together? I mean, Justin developed uh, the characters, and you... I, I primarily do the writing. He comes up with the plot lines okay. and, and the main storylines, and then I kind of fill it in, you know, fill in the gaps. Okay, is Justin there? He is. Can you pass the phone to him? I'm just wondering if I can ask him how he came up with the characters. Oh, absolutely. Hold on a moment. Hello? Justin, welcome to the program. So you you were in middle school, so what, you were 10, 11, 12 years old, and you came up with all these characters? Were these characters that you had been kind of thinking about or or playing in your head for years before? How did you come up with them? Um, Actually, I was in a literature class when I was in sixth grade, and we were studying, like, medieval uh, time and whatnot, and like right. the literature that came out of that, and yeah. it really inspired me when it came to the knights and like the mythology behind it, and that was what kind of got the ball rolling with the Golden Knight and the mythology about it. And um, I was always super, I was always super Catholic from like church and all right. of that, so we tied that in together with it, and that's what kind of gave birth to these characters. So your dad just said that he does he primarily does the writing, but you obviously came up came up with a lot of the stories when you were thinking about these characters. And maybe you should tell us a little bit about who the characters are. But when you were coming up with them, were you th- also thinking about what the story was, or were you thinking about like kind of this whole kind of Golden Knight universe? Um, when I was coming up with the characters, I pretty much 
had no idea what the story would be. Okay. I kind of was coming up with the characters and then making up the story afterwards. Okay. Okay, and your dad was helping you kind of formulate those stories? Mm-hmm. And how was it working with your dad, writing with your dad? Was he difficult to work with? Oh, no, he wasn't difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Can you pass the phone back to him? Sure. I'm back. <laughs> so, so, so Justin says that you are very easy to work with. Is that true? You know, I, I think he's actually. I think he's just being being very nice. Uh, I can be I can be kind of a perfectionist sometimes, and uh, uh, so I, I, there are probably moments where I, I was difficult to work with. In all honesty. Now, now tell tell me a little bit more about that writing process. We had a a, a mother who's also an author, a children's book author, uh, a couple months ago on the program. And she okay. actually is writing stories about her own children. And she said that she would, what she would do is she would kind of write a chapter and then read it to the kids as kind of story time at night. And that's how they kind of sort of came up with the stories. Is that something similar? Were you kind of going away and writing something and then showing it to Justin? Or would you guys talk about the plot lines together and then you'd sit and write? How, how was that process? Well, normally what we would do, uh, or what worked best for us, is we would sit down uh, together. We would discuss the characters. We would discuss some plot, but uh, you know, plot storylines, some potential uh, directions we wanted to take the characters in, and then we would work out an outline, a general outline of the story. Right. And then I would I would start writing the chapters, and as and as I finished the chapter, I would give it to him, and and you know, he would read it and decide if he if he liked it, if it was something that. Um, he enjoyed, and a lot of times, you know, we would, you know, the story would kind of take on, you know, a life of its own, and we would would move in in a direction that maybe we didn't even have on the outline. So right, yeah. that's that's kind of one of the things that that's fun about it, since it is a continuing storyline from book to book. Yeah, you know, you you start out with a general idea, but you may end up in, a, in an entirely different different place when you get all done with it. Yeah. So I, I started off the, the the segment by just kind of giving a little bit of a background, but that's really not what the story is about. That's kind of where the story begins. The, the, the book has been taken, the, the angels have fallen, the, the people are suffering, but there's a young boy that gets chosen. Um, and that young right. boy is is named Justin. Um, right. Was, uh, was that <laughs> how, how much is. how much of the, the main character, Justin, is actually based on your son, Justin? You know, I I would probably say quite quite a bit. I mean, I, I'd probably say about seventy five percent. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So so would you write things, and then your son would say, eh, "I don't know if I would do that." Yeah, we we've had we've had some moments where you know I I would have an idea, and uh, yeah, he'd be like, "Yeah, I don't think that's very cool, Dad. <laughs> Let's do something different." And um, so we we'd go back and re, we would rework it and kind of go from there, and and particularly when when it came time to. You know, actually sit down and design the characters and what they would look like, and you know, when we yeah. before we actually went out and got the illustrator, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on on things like that as well. And what they look like. Now, Justin uh, just told us uh, on the phone that he was always very Catholic. Presumably, the whole family is. You guys are Catholic. Was it? Yeah. Was there a, a, a explicit intent to make the stories with a particular kind of faith message, or I mean, they're not hit you over the head Catholic, but I mean, you don't have to be, right. you know, it's, it's pretty obvious who the king is and the angels and, um, and right. this kind of battle between good and evil. So was that part of the intent right from the beginning on Justin's part? Yeah, it actually was. We, we When he originally was developing the the characters and the storyline, some of it came out of, you know, his experience in, in faith formation at our parish and, 
and just trying to come up with ideas and, and characters that would be interesting to people in his age group. And we and we do right. consider the the books to be you know most appropriate for elementary to middle school yes. um, students, even though we do have you know people of all different ages that read mm-hmm. it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was primarily geared towards that age group, and and it was really was designed to be you know Christian, you know Catholic in in its in its uh, you know metaphors and allegories that are used throughout right. the books. Yeah, uh, as a way of getting, as a way of getting younger people like the middle school students or the elementary school students interested in kind of talking uh, about their faith. So, so it always we always have the intent to do that. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you to to pass the phone back because I I know that you've, um, the, the you do the the stories as a as a theater play as well, and both you and Justin play two of the characters. So I, I and I'll, I'll ask you first, but then you can pass the phone on to Justin. So I'm just curious to know what that experience is like, and do you feel that, in some ways, does this do the stories work better on stage? Like, because I can I can picture them on stage actually. Yeah, I mean, we we came up with the we came up with the idea of the of the live show as a way of 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 doing the doing the um, you know taking the books into schools primarily. We were uh-huh. originally doing just author visits and. We thought they weren't as interesting um, to the students as, as actually bringing the characters to life. Yeah, and we decided course. to do the stage show, and, and certainly there are things that are in the books and characters that are in the books that we're not able to do on stage. It's no. kind of a condensed version uh, of the storyline. Um, but that that's really the reason that that we originally went to to doing that that live show format is is to get you know to make the story interesting and again to to get students interested in reading and writing and, and mm-hmm. of course we always have a question and answer session after the show so yeah, they can ask course. us questions either about the about the books themselves or about you know how we go about doing the writing process so yeah um, but let me get you here let me yeah. get here with Justin see what Justin has to say just curious about what it's like I mean there's one thing to come up with characters and, 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 and come up with storylines another very different thing Justin is to actually play Justin because that's the character yeah. you play, I'm assuming. Um, so what's that experience like for you? Um, it was kind of um, interesting at first because when I've never really acted in really? a play like that before. Okay. And so when I was first doing it, it was very nerve-wracking, actually, despite <laughs> this character that I created who is really, in a way, based on a lot of aspects of me personally. Yeah. But over over time, I've just kind of embraced it I guess and and it's become like second nature to me right so maybe just in closing and I'll ask you and then you can pass the phone on to your dad and I'll ask him the same question what what is your hope for these books what would you like uh, to be you know for the books what's your hope well with the with the books I hope that one they can ex- um, ignite a flame in children who read them and people in general who read them mm-hmm. to really read and embrace their creative sides okay and also that when they read them they take away the lessons that are in in them Mm -hmm. and go go forth and like be better people and make a better world good good okay pass the phone back to your dad and i'll ask him the same question okay what what is your hope for the books uh steven well i think our i think our long range long range goal is is to of course we're going to continue writing the books and uh, we do have um, three other series that that we currently do as well, and we okay. and they're going to all be tied in together into the Golden Knight uh, universe that they all take part in. And of course, over over time, all the characters will get together, and there'll be a climatic ending to it. 
Uh, we also, you know, as Justin, as Justin was mentioning, we want to, we want to make sure the books are are uh, you know, being presented to students and, and to young people in particular, and that uh, it's something that they something that they see as strengthening their faith, or renewing an interest in their faith, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, asking questions and exploring their faith in a different way. We've always kind of worked on the theme that uh, of all the books that that the idea behind them are is that the is that God has a plan for us in our lives, regardless of our age, and uh, to to look and and to look for that plan and and to accept it and and you know go out and make a difference in in the world. So that that's that's really what we want to do. I mean, we want to make sure the books have a positive impact on people, and we want to continue to um, you know expand beyond the books themselves with the characters. Right. I mean, we talked about doing you know we talked about the live show that we yes. do. Um, you know, we you know we've we've discussed before the idea of doing a, a television program, yes, uh, based on characters, um, and you know just get them in front of people and use it in a positive way, so people can, yeah. like I said, explore their For faith. Sure. I mean, we've always been we've always been concerned about uh, the idea as, as people go grow older, particularly the younger uh, younger kids as they grow older and and go into their teen years or even their young adult years that they. they in a lot of cases, they may lose some of their faith, or they may walk, you know, back away from their faith. Uh, we we hope this is something that keeps them interested in their faith and 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 keeps that message, you know, going with them. Yeah, for sure, and I think they will they will absolutely do that. So there's three Golden Knight uh, books so far. There's probably more to come, but as you said, there are other books, and all that can be found at the website the jcmultiverse.com I'm going to put that uh, site on our on our website saltandlighttv.org so you can find it easily Stephen, Justin thank you for joining us uh, today and telling us about the Golden Knight alright well thank you so much we appreciate the opportunity God bless Stephen and Justin Clark are the father and son authors of the Golden Knight book series you can purchase the three Golden Knight books and their other books anywhere that you get your books but also at their website thejcmultiverse.com Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Michael Corsini, with You In Me, from his album, The Wellspring.
That was Michael Corsini with You In Me from his album The Wellspring. Michael Corsini describes himself as a husband and father primarily. But he has also been an artist, musician, speaker, and retreat leader for many, many years. The art and music that he makes is an extension of his family life. He just released his fourth album, The Wellspring, that we've been listening to. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Michael Corsini from his home in Pennsylvania. Michael, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, thank you very much. It's so good to meet you. So, um, what, did, were you always Catholic? What was it like growing up for you? Well, no, I actually am a convert. I came really? into the church in 2002. Okay, wow. So, you did you grow up in a in a in a home where there was faith or no faith at all? Um, I would say we went to we were of we were Lutherans and we went okay. to church occasionally. We weren't we weren't necessarily Sunday worshippers right <laughs> everywhere right so obviously uh, something happened were you uh, was that a an adolescence thing or a young adult thing that that you found the catholic church it happened actually as i um graduated from college i had a few things that had happened to me that caused me to start to start to sort of right. evaluate <laughs> my life you yeah. know in, in the big picture yeah were and you... um i met some uh some christians on campus that really kind of led me to uh, the scriptures. Okay. And from there, it was it was uh, it was a matter of me, you know, experiencing uh, the Lord through His Word, mm-hmm. and um, hmm. also experiencing the Lord through music for the first time in my life. Okay, but, but were, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, were you already doing music and art? <laughs> I was. I was. I was in art school up until you know up okay. until that point. But I was also a musician. Most of my life, and and at that point, I was actually a musician, playing primarily like rock music, and right? Punk, Secular music, yeah. That that sort of thing. Okay, and then did did the you said that you had kind of an experience of of religious music or sacred music? Um, did did you think, oh, I I could be doing faith based music, or was that something that kind of happened afterwards? It happened actually kind of naturally when I was going to the, the little Bible church in yeah. my home. Yeah. It was the first time in my life that I had actually experienced people praying with music or praying wow. to the Lord through music. Wow. Uh, you know, having been a Lutheran, I had been, you know, accustomed to hymns and that sort of thing. But yeah. for some reason growing up I never really I never really got it. I never really understood that we were speaking to the Lord, right? You know, until I had gone to this this little Bible church, and we huh. were literally praying and speaking to the Lord through the songs. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I I know that that I mean, maybe I'm fast forwarding here, but a, a lot of a lot of that change eventually led to a major change where you kind of even uprooted your family from. Were you in Washington and you moved to New York, and then you ended up now moving to Pennsylvania? Tell me a little bit about that change. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I had, I had been working for the Knights of Columbus at the John Paul II National Shrine. In okay. DC, okay. Yeah. Which is a very beautiful place. Of course. Yes. And all along I had been doing music for retreats and for holy hours and masses, but it was something that was, you know, I was doing occasionally because I had my nine to five job, uh-huh. but my wife and I, very, you know, early actually into my work there with the Knights, began to experience in prayer something of a deeper calling that 
it was possible for us maybe to serve the Lord more fully and be able to um, play music and create works of art full time for the Lord. So I kind of uh, <laughs> I kind of kicked against that for a, a several years because I was terrified, you know, of leaving yeah, my of course my you know, my four hundred one k and all that <laughs> sort of thing behind. Yeah, and jumping into ministry full time for the Lord. But you know, we ended up selling our home and following the Lord um, to New York. And we lived in New York um, with my in-laws for several years while we kind of got on our feet. And the Father has just provided for us, I mean, really, I mean, to the point where now we just this past August bought our little homestead here in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And I now have a studio here on on, on our property, which is just just a beautiful <laughs> right. kind of synthesis, like you know, and a beautiful um, example of the Lord's provision for us. And yeah. it, it gives me so much more time with the children, which is, you know, one of our deepest desires. Yeah, of course. How many children do you have? We have five children under the age of eight. Wonderful, wonderful. That keeps you busy, I'm so sure. <laughs> um, if anybody's tuning in at this at this point, you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. We're speaking with uh, singer, songwriter, and artist Michael Corsini. So, uh, is there any connection, Michael, between your music and the art, or do you see those two as separate uh, separate media? I'm seeing them more and more as something that belong together. I found mm-hmm. that. Um, that my artwork is it's coming from the same place and it's it's got the same um, motive which is primarily healing renewal evangelization Mm -hmm. and um, so I found that one of the most profound things at least in my experience was to bring my art into uh, parishes and then pray uh, holy hours you know with music and and maybe evening prayer um, Hmm. and before the images in, in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Interesting. And, um, so I'm finding that there's a there's there's a great synthesis that's beginning to happen there between the art and the music. Yeah, I which uh, I am just kind of newly discovering. Um, you have some really fun. I, I think if I uh, sorry if I I think they're fun kind of renditions of of the saints. Um, that that I I found refreshing yet maybe a little unusual. But maybe that's why I found them refreshing. Um, tell me about those. Is that how you see your art? I mean, or I mean, I don't know if there's there's other different types of of uh, of uh, uh, paintings or that you do. Um, but tell me about the the saints. Particularly, I can think of the Saint Teresa of Avila laughing in the mud in the rain. Oh yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. That was for a, a children's book as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because so, they they have that scent, that feeling that it's almost like children's drawings children's painting. Right, exactly. So I, I'm also um, working very frequently as a children's book illustrator. Okay. So that's what you were seeing there. So, okay, I, I, so I produce sacred art and also children's okay, so book you have, illustration. Right. And they're, they're both uh, important, I, I suppose, because uh, we, we got oh, to gotta evangelize everybody. Yeah. It's, it's so def- it's so <laughs> important to, to make, um, make the gospel clear to children, you yeah. know, and to really grab their hearts and their attention, you know, through that, through the medium of art, right. really at a, at a young age. There's so right. much, uh, you know, in the world vying for their attention and for their heart. Yeah, I know, and I know. So my, my hope is that my art, you know, um, is, you know, is, is like a vessel for the Lord to, to 
speak to them. Yeah, your art and your music. Now, The Wellspring, which is the album we were just listening to, the songs we've been listening to are from that album. It's your fourth album, correct? Um, yes, that's right. So, my first studio record, but my fourth record, my fourth album. Okay, and and do you feel that there's anything like I'm this just, studio, this this record was recorded at a professional studio in okay. New Jersey. Okay, and I had an entire band. Oh, yeah, on this record. No, which is, it, it which is sounds great. The, the number one difference. Okay, so that would have been um, and uh, the Wellspring. What is there a significance to the title? Um, it's really, I consider the wellspring, you know, it's the title track on, yes. on the record. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that, um, the, the song, the wellspring for me has, you know, a deep significance. It's, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a biographical song you mm-hmm. know, for me where I had to learn to, um, trust God, <laughs> even though I found in myself you know, no strength or sometimes no courage to live the Christian life. Mm-hmm. I had to trust God working, you know, even deep, as I say in the song, you know, beneath the stone, it's my stony heart, Right. that he was, he was somehow making himself present there. He was renewing me yeah. and, and bringing, you know, forth that, that water of, of a uh, new life in me. Yeah. So I, I consider the wellspring sort of the, the uh, I don't know. I guess you could call it the the um, the thesis of this little record. Right. You know, it it, uh, it sounds to me also. I mean, it's a great image because you know how do you sustain? You you left everything, trust completely, and and you're being fed from this wellspring, and we all are. We just need to trust it, and you've done it. So thank you for for taking that leap and telling us a little bit about it to us today, Michael. Oh, you're welcome. It's my joy. Um, so we expect to hear more from you so we have more uh, uh, reasons to bring you back on the program, all right? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can learn more about uh, Michael Corsini, his music, and his art at his website, michaelcorsini.com. Here now is Michael Corsini with that song that we were just talking about, the title track of his latest album, The Wellspring. A heart made of stone is what I confess A parched and dry land You search and you bless Where are your rivers And where are your streams I am tired and weary Of searching for these Show me
comes a lie at your command. Where are your rivers and where are your streams? I am tired and weary of searching for these. Listening to Michael Corsini with the title track of his album, The Wellspring. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org. Coming up is a conversation about dementia and hip hop artist Connor Flanagan, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. A familiar stranger. That's how author Rhonda Hoffman describes her mother as dementia began to take hold of her. A familiar stranger. I think many of us can relate. My own mother suffered from Alzheimer's for a few years before her death. Hers was late onset and slow progressing. Still, it required some adjusting and how I wished we'd had a manual, a guide. There was a lot of help, but there was always something that we were not prepared for. And this is why Rhonda Hoffman decided to help her daughters prepare. She wrote them a a letter, a pre-dementia love letter. It is titled, When I Am Not Me Anymore. And to tell us more about it, I am now joined by Rhonda Hoffman from her home just outside Edmonton, Alberta. Rhonda, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me about your mom. Oh, my mom. Um, Her and my father were in ministry for 60 years together, and she was this strong, quiet force by his side the whole time. She was very conservative, uh, quiet, very modest. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's four of us girls in our family, so she had her hands full the whole time as well. Right, right. she passed away at the age of 93, wow. so she had a really good run. Mm-hmm. Those last years uh, saw a lot of changes in her when dementia set in. Right. And it was, sorry, it was dementia? Or was it Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. or Dementia. It was dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, and for how long? How many years? Well, you know, that's the thing, that 
people will live with signs of symptoms of dementia mm-hmm. for between 8 and 12 years. Yes. And like you were saying with your mom, it was slowly progressing. Yeah. And I I would I would doubt that you would be able to point to one moment where no. you said, "Oh, dementia's just said." No, I mean there you was know? there was one moment where we knew that it was serious. Yeah. But then yeah. she'd she'd be normal. Um, but for ye- many years before that, she would say, "I think I have Alzheimer's." Um, oh, wow. So so, and I don't know if that's something that she thought she had, or she thought she would have it, or she would get it, or 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 something. <laughs> um, what what were some of the things that you found most difficult about your mom's condition? Well, there was the usual, just even with age, you know, we tend to repeat ourselves. And yeah. The, answers that were given to us, but I realized that uh, she really didn't remember that she just asked me that a couple minutes ago and a couple minutes before that. Mm -hmm. So that frustration factor, Mm -hmm. when you're not looking for this or recognizing it as the disease has set in, but Mm -hmm. for me to talk to you and you keep asking me the same questions, like what is going on, you know? But when it when we realize that this is part of one of the symptoms, this is her life now, then it gives you the grace to be able to answer that same question the fourth time with, with the patients you did the first time. Right, as if it was the first time. Yes, and there were changes in her, and she wasn't... Uh, their ability to reason leaves mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And so things that are such common sense isn't common anymore. And again, if you're not watching for that, it's very frustrating. It can be exasperating. But when you realize, when you kind of reframe that and realize that this is the new reality, yeah, then it goes a long way in, in being gracious and being loving and making them feel secure and, and heard. Right. Now, there are a lot of resources out there. Um, mm. in uh, helping people deal with this disease. But um, what did you find most helpful? What, what helped you cope? Well, we have a strong family, which really helped mm-hmm. because we were able to tag team. And um, in, in the book, I tell, I have two daughters, mm-hmm. and I tell them that you need to take care of yourself first. And if not coming to visit me is your way of doing that in this moment, then, you know, do that guilt-free. Mm-hmm. Make sure that that you get the support you need, and if that means staying away, then stay away for a while, and mm-hmm. that way we can enjoy our time together. Mm-hmm. The Alzheimer's Society, of course, is a great resource, mm-hmm. and they have uh, workshops that you can go to as a caregiver. Right. And you, first of all, you walk in there, you think, oh man, I'm not alone. There's a lot of people going through this, and a lot of people have had more experience at it because they've been in it longer, and those little gems which I hope people will find in the book that things that we learned the hard way yeah. is right there for you. And I've had people uh, who've read it and said, oh, man, I my wish, mom's yeah. going through this right now, yes, and I didn't yes. even recognize it. Yeah, no, I, I had the same, uh, the same feeling reading the book. Um, you said something there uh, that I wanted to just clarify. So you, 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 you told your daughters that the, if they, taking care of themselves meant that they shouldn't come visit you. So you've written the book this letter as if you are already suffering from dementia, um, right? So all these, the, the advice you give them is as if you're already with the disease. How did your daughters respond to, to not just you writing the, the letter, but writing it from that point of view? 
Well, yeah, it was, it's hard. I, I cried over every page writing it. And remember, though, this all started because I was d- dealing with my mom, and I realized that she wasn't the same person I knew, mm-hmm. and that one day my girls might be looking at me the same way I was looking at my mom. And I sat down to just write them a love letter, um, share my heart and my feelings while I could, mm-hmm. while I can still express myself. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own and became this little book mm-hmm. for them. But the reason I wrote it in the first person like that is because when when it's not, it's really easy to read it as a story. And again, that only happens to other people. Right. It doesn't happen to me, right? right. But when you're reading it and thinking, oh, she's actually got this right now, and this is how she's probably feeling. This is how I could respond to these different situations. I think it just brought it more home to to me and to my girls as they read it and hopefully look at it down the road. Mm-hmm. What advice would you would you have? I'm sure you have tons of advice. You wrote the book, but um, <laughs> what would be the, that main advice? Someone listening right now is is just trying to figure it out day by day. Every day is different. And, and I used to tell people, you know, with my mom, um, as soon as you figure something out, you adjust and then it changes. Like you, you go into a room and you figure things out and then you have to go into <laughs> another room and it just keeps it's changing. True. What what advice what advice would you have for people that are dealing with a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's? I think the first thing that comes to mind is that they're not them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the the disease changes who they are. And and someone who is sweet and kind her whole life can say some very cruel, right, unexpected things. And when you're on the receiving end of that, it doesn't matter how much you understand about this. It still hurts. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at them as it's not them speaking. It's not her. It's the disease that's speaking through them. Mm-hmm. And that, again, you are not alone with the statistics, uh, you know, on dementia and Alzheimer's, cognitive decline. It is astounding. And with one in three seniors dying with some sort of dementia right now, mm-hmm. more people are affected than not because you either know it personally in your own family or you know somebody who's dealing with it. Yeah. You're not alone. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of resources. You don't have to do it alone. Yes, I think that's really good advice. Um, and there is a lot of research out there. Um, certainly the Alzheimer's Society. So it's the Alzheimer's Society of Canada, right? Um, mm-hmm. And for people that are in the United States, there's the equivalent society in the United States. Um, thank you, Rhonda, for sharing a little bit um, of your experience with your mom and, and about this love letter to your daughters. Um, it's it's been very useful to me and uh, and I'm sure to our listeners as well. So thank you for writing it and for being with us today. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Rhonda Hoffman is the author of When I Am Not Me Anymore, a pre-dementia love letter to my daughters. You can get it wherever you get your books online. And to listen to the full interview, if you missed it, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org. Here now is Connor Flanagan with Landslide from his album Skyscrapers. Can't say I never saw it coming. Oh, I tried to look the other way. Deep down, I knew it when I felt it. I felt it. I knew it was real and it was here to stay. 
for love it moves me like a landslide oh it carries me away i've been running but i can't hide i can't hide can't can't hide from your landslide from your Flanagan is a hip-hop artist from a small farm near Cleveland, Ohio. He has three albums. Two of them landed in the top 10 on the iTunes charts. And from what we've been listening to, you can tell that he's not your usual hip-hop artist. And so I'm very happy to welcome Connor Flanagan to the Salt and Light Hour. Connor, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I said you're from a small farm. I don't know if you still live on a farm, but you grew up on a farm, right? Correct, yes. So that was most of my childhood was on that small farm. Yeah, what was that like? It was great. We loved it. I, you know, I, I sometimes feel bad for people who didn't have that because we just had a lot of space to roam and have fun. And uh, I think having kind of a lot of time outside and yeah. the environment we had as kids created such an amazing opportunity for not only like good work ethic, like we had hard chores to do every day, but also just imagination. You know, we're always dreaming up new things to do in the right. yard. And, games to play and whatnot yeah was it uh sorry a large family oh uh, yeah i had so my there's five kids so, so my mom my dad and yeah. four other siblings um and yeah. then we i grew up in a, in a large large irish family so we had tons of cousins <laughs> who were always over that's great um, that's great yeah every weekend so yeah, yeah, I guess. Flanagan, I can tell by your last name. And, and I guess we <laughs> yep. just had St. Patrick's Day. It must have been a quite a different different St. Patrick's Day for you this year. It was. We're used to being downtown and go to Mass at the Cathedral and participate in all the festivities. But this year, everything was a little quieter. Yeah, just a little bit. So I guess growing up, you said Irish family, lots of lots of family, uh, obviously Catholic. Was, was the faith a big part of growing mm-hmm. up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a, a, a big priority for my immediate family, but, you know, even all of my extended family, too. Um, it, was a, it's a, it was a grounding factor around... Mm-hmm all the holidays for us, all of our family gatherings, things like that. Yeah. And was it, uh, again, uh, not to be stereotypical, but Irish, so was it a musical? Was it a musical family? 
It was, yeah. So a musical, but very much in the Irish sense. We had, you know, my, I grew up playing Irish instruments, tin whistle and the flute. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of cousins who do Irish dance who also play um, Irish instruments. So right. specifically around St. Patrick's Day, but also Christmas, Easter, there was always an instrument being pulled out at some time and, and there'd be dancing in the kitchen or yeah, whatnot. So it was fun. That's that's beautiful. Um, um, did you go through a period of time, maybe in your adolescence, where faith wasn't that strong, or were you always pretty strong in the faith? Um, I don't, you know, I wouldn't say I, I ever fell away. I, I never fell away from my faith. There was definitely a time where it went from being routine to relationship, uh-huh. you know, where yeah. I went from mimicking what my parents had done to mm-hmm. actually being discipled and encountering God for, you know, for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a very distinct moment, kind of end of high school into my freshman year of college. Right. Um, but it didn't, there's never a falling away. It was more of just a, more of a realization right. of who God is and what he wants for me. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense at that, at, at that age, you went to Franciscan university, right? Correct. Yep. And so that was, that was what was happening around that time. Why did you choose to go to Franciscan? To Steubenville. <laughs> you know, honestly, I probably chose to go there for the for the reason that nobody chooses to go there is I <laughs> wanted to play college basketball. Okay. Um, right. I just started a new program. Yeah. And I wanted to be at a school where I could play, uh, uh-huh. but also if for some reason I decided not to, I'd have a place that could keep me grounded in my faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell people often, God used basketball to get me there, but. Right, uh, man. It was it was the university, it was the people, it was the environment that changed my life. Right, of course. Um, when did you get into hip hop, or was that something that you were always into? Uh, I've always had a love for it for as long as I can remember, and, and yeah. my mom specifically did an amazing <laughs> job fostering my love and desire for music. But it was probably you know my sophomore year of college. Yeah. I, I wrote music from. Mm-hmm a very young age, but it wasn't until my like sophomore, junior year of college that I started really writing hip hop and, and taking it more seriously. Right. Cause that's not a little, a little, little different than Irish music. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yep. Yep. Um, did you, did you, when you started writing music, were you writing quote unquote religious or, or what can I, I don't know what to call it. Ministry kind of based music. I mean, when you go way back and I was in middle school, I was writing emotional middle school music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, all that great you know, stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, angsty, you know, probably didn't make a whole lot of sense at the time. Yeah, songs, yeah, yeah. But yeah, my faith is, is who I am. You know, I would be absolutely nothing without without Jesus. And so it's impossible to keep him out of the songs. He's mm. my story to tell. And so... My music has always been grounded in that and who he is and, and what the hope he can bring and the hope he has brought to my life. Right. Um, and I'd say as I get older as a songwriter and, and more mature, I find more creative ways of telling those stories. Mm-hmm. Some songs may not be as explicit mm-hmm. uh, yeah, of course. in an attempt to reach a broader audience, but yeah. I never try to hide it. Yeah. I mean, even the, the, the two songs that we've already heard in the program, Landslide and um, Sky... Uh, skyscrapers they're not that obvious you know it's, it's not like mm-hmm. like love songs to Jesus or anything like that right um, right um, 
do you, did you ever struggle with because some people might say you know we get praise and worship we might not like contemporary Christian music but we get it but hip hop is like a completely whole different genre that just kind of doesn't fit like those sacred music and hip hop um, what do you tell them um, well you know I I would tell them that if, if that's you know I, I respect that opinion but then I just think you'll never be able to embrace culture uh-huh. Um Hip hip hop, the genre of hip hop controls culture right now. Mm. It controls what athletes are doing. It controls celebrities. It influences celebrity life. Um, it is influencing the younger generation twenty four seven. And so, you know, my hope is that I can just be a light in that world and bridge the gap between a totally secularized genre and and a God who has so much hope. Mm-hmm. for his people yeah um and if i could be some somewhere in the middle there, trying to bridge the two saying hey we can we can exist together uh you know and, and use this medium as a way to to get on kids phones and into their hearts and into their minds the message of hope and of love then let's do it you know yeah, yeah. and 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 it's good to know you're not alone i, I can i don't I, I mean i i wonder if you grow up listening to father stan fortuna and of course now there's joe melendres and uh, righteous B. I don't know if he's doing anything anything new uh, still, but but the, there are more people that are embracing. I guess Catholics that are embracing this this genre, this style of music, um, and using yeah. it very effectively to reach, as you said, to reach uh, people not just just young people, but young people that are in the culture, in that are mm-hmm. in the world. Um, what would you say then is is the m- maybe your mission or the mission for your ministry? What are your hopes for your ministry? Yeah. Um, you know, my mission is to, I think, um, man, I could I, I, I could go so many different ways with this, but at the heart of it is I just think uh, people need a message of hope. Mm. We live in a, in a very hopeless world, and I think even now is a, is a perfect example of that. Yes. <clears throat> people turn inward before they turn upward. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, I would hope that I write music that, breeds hope lyrically but also musically that there's a there's a natural sense of joy that comes with the instrumentation and um and yeah. that you know I, I really feel like hip-hop can for for a young person specifically you know we get brought in we just were brought in to lift jesus higher you know youth yes. rally yes up, up in toronto and yes um, you know i think hip-hop is a great way of reaching the people in the back in the back rows in the back pews who may not want to be at the event it's true. But that all of a sudden they they get a cultural connection and they're like, oh wait, hey, these people are, are relevant or there's mm-hmm. they're, they know what I like, mm-hmm. and then there there's a wall that's broken down so that the content can come through and take yeah. root. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I wanna I wanna be a message of hope, really a message of joy to to a culture that seems kind of static and mm-hmm. um it doesn't look up often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. A lot of things are being canceled, but joy and hope are not canceled. So not that's canceled. good to know. Um, Connor, um, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's great meeting you. I, I, I look forward to more good stuff from you. I know you have the three albums. Uh, um, so, and, but it's time for a new one. So whenever that happens, <laughs> you let us know and uh, we'll get you back All on right. the show. And hope, hopefully we can connect next year when you, if you come back to Toronto for Lift Jesus Higher Rally. Uh, it would be yes, great to, to meet you in person. All right. Thank you. God bless and stay safe. Thank you. God bless.
You can learn more about Connor Flanagan, his music, his ministry, book him for your event at his website, connorflanaganmusic.com. And to listen to the full interview or any part of this program, go to saltandlighttv.org. Here now is Connor Flanagan with his single, Dangerous. I woke up like this, a fire in my bones. Feeling like a fighter, my head in the zone. I found freedom in the light, you already know, yeah. You already know I'm not in it for the accolades Stay true to the name of the one who says Roll up to the Grammys in a carry Not yet, but hear me when I say one day Hear me when I say one day In my basement, like daily complacent I'm chasing God, why you waiting? Impatient, I'm breaking my mind open To find the right words for this song I hope you all sing along Like ooh la la, I go on Balling like I'm your bra Comparison, it got the best of me yesterday Remedy, I know the recipe Give it to God, celebrate victory For all my friends and pray for my enemies Yeah, We're listening to Connor Flanagan with his single, Dangerous. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Learn all about Salt and Light and support what we do at our website, saltandlighttv.org. That's also where you can listen to all editions of the Salt and Light Hour. If you have any questions or comments or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. of fire in my bones feeling like a fighter yeah my head in the zone i found freedom in the light you already know yeah you already know i woke up like this